This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal and accounting and tax support. And they'll give you $2,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $4,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Freelancer Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 167 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. Jonathan Stark. Hello. Reuben Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick reminder, I'm doing Rails stuff at railsclips.com, and I'm also doing Angular stuff at angularremoteconf.com. I'm not going to go into any more detail than that. Go check them out. This week, we're going to be talking about when and who to hire. So I'm a little curious what everyone's experience is with hiring folks. I mean, my experience is mostly subcontractors and VAs. In fact, that's all my experience. Where do the rest of you clock in on that? I've hired VAs and like a designer and a writer and editor, basically people that would help like me on my business. I don't do subbing. I don't hire people that would end up helping a client. I just, I tell my clients to hire them directly. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, pretty similar here. I used to manage people uh, at a software firm we've talked about on the show before, but uh, it's really, it's a lot. And it puts a lot of pressure on you to kind of worry about your mortgage and their mortgage. So I, I prefer to just kind of do what Eric just said, which is I hire people to help me with the business. And when I need extra hands for a project or something, I just, I'm trying to think almost without exception, have the client hire them directly. And I just recommend the people who I want to work with. Yep. How so about yeah, you, so I guess, yeah. So I've had, I actually have a surprisingly great deal of experience hiring people. Surprising to me. When I think about how long it's been going on, I hired my first person, and and I should say, I've almost only hired programmers. So they actually do client work, and they do the work under me, um, and they communicate with clients. And I think I hired my first person probably like 1998, I'm guessing. And basically, I had about six people working for me, plus a secretary, or I guess including a secretary, until, I'm sorry, yeah, 1998, yeah, because then... Eric's asking in the chat, because then I had six people working for me in the year 2000, and I had to fire all of them within like six months of each other. Uh, <laughs> uh, so like when the whole internet implosion uh, happened, and that really scarred me. And so since then, I've had one person, maybe two people work for me at a time doing development, but on a very different basis, and we'll get into that later. And right now, I have one person working for me. Gotcha. So do we? it seems like the most common case is VAs. And, you know, sort of work on the business, but not working for clients. I'm, I'm a little curious. How do you decide what roles to hire then? Because I've just hired general VAs to this point for that stuff. I mean, there's the standard thing of like, how long is it going to take me to do this? How much is my time worth? You know, do I have work to fill that time versus how long would it take someone else to do it? How much would they cost? That sort of thing. So, you know, if I have, this isn't my rate, but if I charge $100 an hour and I you know, it would take me an hour to do something. Could I hire someone for less than a hundred bucks to do the same task? And that could be someone who's less efficient, but cheaper or someone who's more efficient and even more expensive than my rate. That's kind of what I use. But uh, the other one I use is just, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling stressed. I can't get to important things, you know, burn the business down. I want to run away. Okay. I need some help. Yeah. I've hired assistants in the past and it's never worked out for me. 
because in the the one end of the spectrum, I hired someone who's just sort of a general assistant. And I felt before I hired her, I felt like I had tons of stuff for an assistant to do. And then once I had someone, she basically plowed through the to-do list in two days. And I was like, okay. <laughs> now I was like under pressure to come up with stuff for her to do. And I was like, eh. it was I, the, the pressure. Efficient. That was your problem. I should have so yeah. I should have hired someone who was much slower, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and then in other times, I've hired VAs to do a very, very specific thing, like go to this list of websites and find out who the CEO of this company is and, if possible, get their contact information. Or uh, go around and find a list of colleges who have my um, iPhone book on, the curric- on one of the class curriculums. And I'm going to go you know, and pitch a, a workshop to them. And it's never, it's never worked out. Like people just flake and disappear and never even ask to get paid. And, and other times it's just been the data that comes back is like, oh man, I kind of asked for the wrong thing or, or the thing that I asked for was sounded like a good idea on paper, but in actual fact, it wasn't that useful. So I've never felt like I got got a good ROI from any of the VA stuff. Yeah. It's funny. Like I've, I think we talked about VAs a few months ago and I remember or at some point we had a discussion about VAs and I thought, you know, this sounds like a great thing. It would save me so much time. I should totally do this. And there was a woman who worked for a company that I'd worked with. So I knew her well and she started her own VA business and it was here in Israel. So the Hebrew English thing would be totally fine. And I called her up and it sounded like things would be good. And I said, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll speak to you more when I sort of have a better idea of what I want to do. And then I felt like, what do I need an assistant for? Like really what I need someone to do is, take my paperwork to the accountant. And so unless like that, that you can't do as a virtual assistant that you actually have to be in the place where you are. And so every time I think about how attractive it would be to have a VA, I, I backtrack and I say, no, yeah, I actually, I don't, I don't see a real need for it in my business at this point. Yeah. And see, uh, so I've, I've got virtual assistants and I think most people on the show have heard me talk about Mandy. Uh, and she does, she does all kinds of things, but you know, her primary role is podcast editor. Um, you know, so she edits the podcast, puts up the show notes and, you know, posts all the files to the right place on the internet so people can download them and all that stuff. And then she's also helped me organize the remote conferences and just other things like that. But the majority of her time is spent on the podcasts. Um, I have another VA that I hired, uh, it's virtualstafffinder.com. And he's in the Philippines, and so far, all I've really had him doing is uh, putting videos on YouTube. And uh, he is very inexpensive, but he does a lot of work that I just don't want to do. And it's stuff that is like data entry that I don't really want to pay Mandy to do either. So yeah, so he's been updating the Ruby Rogues. Uh, so what I've done is I've uh, exported the Ruby Rogues episodes as videos with the album art as the video, and then he's been going in and updating all that stuff. And uh, I also, I, so I, I was not 100% accurate when I said it's just general VAs because I did hire a video editor. And uh, I send him videos every week and he edits them for Rails clips. So that's kind of the virtual staff that I have. And then I have a subcontractor slash web developer because he works on my stuff too that I've hired out of Argentina. And he's been working for me for like three or four years and uh, does a terrific job. And so when I have work for him, then he works on client stuff. And when I don't have work for him, then he works on my stuff. And so he's been doing all of that kind of thing. But 
yeah. So as far as VAs go, I kind of work them on a project basis, except for Mandy. And with Mandy, it's just, hey, I need this done. Can you make it done? And so I think that's kind of uh, important because when I first hired my first two VAs, it was kind of the more general, like, I, you know, thinking like Jonathan, I have this huge amount of stuff to get done. Can you do it for me? Take it off my plate. You know, they burn through it. And then I realized, like, it's going to be, you know, a part-time job getting them work. And at that point, I was like, there's no value for me and, you know, me taking my time and, you know, delegating it to you. Like, the delegation cost was too high. And I've actually found since then hiring, like, specialized, not VAs, but specialized uh, contractors or hiring a VA for a specific project. Like, hey, do research on this one thing. That's all all you're going to do for me. That's actually worked out really good because it's a, you know, a concise, like, you know, beginning, middle, end, and then we're done. And then, you know, if you, ha- if you can kind of get some people, like, you know, like you said, Chuck, you had a video editor, you had someone doing YouTube, like have, you know, dedicated people who can do those sort of things and, you know, they have the availability. It's easy to hire them as unique tasks. Yeah. And the thing is, is like this general VA that I've hired out of Philippines, I mean, he's still working on the videos on YouTube for Ruby Rogues, but he's also been putting the conference talks up on RSS feeds so that people can get them as a podcast. And so I'm kind of working in more and more projects, and I think eventually he'll kind of become a general resource that, you know, has enough training and enough of the tools that I use to where he can actually get in and do other things. But yeah, I when you hire a VA, don't hire one because you think you have this big pile of work. I mean, you can hire somebody, but yeah, keep in mind that they may burn through that really quickly. And the other thing is, is if you have a large project or a large set of projects that are ongoing then those are kind of prime candidates for the VAs because you can set up systems around what you need them to do. And then they can just basically follow the script every week or every month or every whatever to get stuff done. So if you have images for blog posts or, you know, you need formatting on your or editing on your book or things like that, but even then you can hire specialists for a lot of that stuff. Yeah, that's really the way I've been going lately. And it's, it's often for design stuff because I'm just not so not good at that. It doesn't matter how much time I put into it. It's never going to be that great. As a example, recently hired a guy named Aaron Mankey to do the podcast art for the terrifying robot dog podcast I do with Kelly Shaver. And it was just like such a deal and it came out so great. And I don't know, it's like, it's super, super specific what he does. And it's kind of like a lot of these productized services that you, that you're seeing more and more of these days where this guy, you know, he's a, a jack of all trades, really. Uh, he's just a creative guy and he does a bunch of design and he's got these different packages and you just go and uh, fill out this form, what you want done. He gets back to you. You know, he's got prices and everything for podcast package, for a logo redesign, for, you know, and it's like, it makes it so easy as the buyer to be like, ah, I've got this need. Oh, maybe Aaron does it. Go through this list. Yep, here's the thing right here. Oh, 600 bucks, totally worth it. Boom, boom, boom. Fill out the stuff. He gets back to you, asks maybe a couple of follow-up questions, sends you a payment link. It's, it's great. So for one-off stuff like that, I've been really digging that kind of thing. There's some podcast-related ones. What's it called? Podcast Motor. I don't know if anybody's looked at that. But to Chuck's point about how useful Mandy's been, since she's working on something that happens every week, you know you're not going to run out of work. Yeah. So you've got that baseline. And now that I haven't hired a VA to help me with our weekly podcast, but now that you mention it, it is kind of like, well, I can pretty much guarantee a couple of hours a week of work on that because it's going to keep on happening. And how much of the stuff that I currently do can I delegate to that person? 
It's actually, I had not thought about that, but since it's a recurring thing, it makes it a little bit more easy to predict how much work I'm going to have. So that might be, I should maybe rethink it. Yeah, I think, I, I want to say uh, Rob Walling mentioned this either in a talk or something, but he says like the order you do when you're, you know, delegating anything is like do reoccurring stuff. And then second, do one-off tasks that are very complex or very time consuming. And then third is all like the simple stuff. And the problem I had is I, I started with the simple stuff. And so, like I said, they burned through it and it wasn't really like reoccurring. It wasn't worthwhile. Um, and so I had to like, you know, let these people go. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Jonathan, your, your point about what makes for a good candidate project to work on is something that's recurring, something that you have a clear set of goals and they're not necessarily technical or that they're not technical. Cause also I feel like so many of the things that I do for my work are highly technical. I mean, it's just not clear to me where I could get a benefit from a VA right now. Although I wouldn't be surprised if in the future I, I find a, a good use for one. Yeah, but I mean, could you hire a specialized contractor? I mean, like a developer or a web designer or something like that instead. I mean, it's not just VAs that we're talking about. That's true. And I have done that. Like on a few occasions, I've, I've hired very short term, like off of uh, Elance. I've hired a few programmers and designers to uh, help with that, uh, you know, help with various projects. And that's, that's actually been really satisfying. It's sort of, you know, similar to what you guys were saying. I just have a really short project. I say, I want to do X and Y and Z. They work on it. They come back to me. I pay them. It, it was it was actually a great feeling, and told me that I really don't want to be the guy hired on Elance, but rather I want to be the guy hiring on Elance. Once I saw how it worked from the buyer's perspective, it was actually very eye opening. Mm. I'm sure this will make any designer in the audience cringe, but I've had really good luck with Fiverr and Odesk for things like designing iOS app icons and stuff like that. So yeah, I've definitely had bad luck too, but it's so low risk financially that it's takes very little of your time. You just run in there. So you're like, ah, this guy's stuff looks pretty good. Here's what I want. Do something. Here's your five bucks. Or if they upsell you a little bit, maybe it's 25 bucks for our service. You get it. It's terrible. You give them some feedback. And then two iterations later, you've spent maybe 75 bucks and you've got like a really nice icon. I'm not sure how people react to that. But to your point that, yeah, you don't want to be on one of those sites. You want to be the person hiring someone on those sites and offering something that's much higher value. Well, and the difference is too, it's like, you know, you're not going to go talk to a designer to get a whole contract just to get one icon. I mean, that's an amazing amount of your time spent on, you know, like setting up the project stuff versus, you know, Fiverr or Odesk or anything like that. Even like you're saying earlier, like a service where it's like, you know, go on some, you know, certain designer's site, he has a package of $100 for an iOS icon. I give you these things, you give me a brief, click, add the cart, buy, you're done. You know, making it easy to buy those sort of things. It's really nice. Yeah, and I'll say that I've I've gone on Fiverr as well and you know, I've gotten logos for different things done. I've gotten, you know, some really basic stuff done. I've gotten some semi-complicated things done. I've always been happy with what I've gotten. Well, not always, but mostly always. And again, the the ones that I wasn't happy with were like the the $10 jobbers and it seemed like the person just didn't care cuz I didn't buy enough extras. Yeah, my um kids are all in the scouts, which is sort of like Boy Scouts Girl Scouts, except it's mixed. I think my, my eldest asked me if uh, my company could be a sponsor for their sweatshirts. I was like, sure, that's great. She said, terrific. I need a logo in like three days. I said, wait a second, I don't have a logo. <laughs> my company doesn't have a... She said, okay, you'll have to come up with one. So I said, uh, so I went to Fiverr and I just hired, what, like three people, four people. And I said, give me a logo. And uh, it actually worked out in the end. It wasn't the most beautiful logo, but it was certainly you know worth what I paid for it. Yeah, that's what I did for, what book was it? I think it was Read My Tips, but I can't remember. 
one of my books, I, you know, paid like a hundred dollars, had a designer create the book cover, you know, the flat, the 3d, all of those. And then what I did is I had a kind of a follow up on those related to it that I went to Fiverr, bought, I think four packages. So, you know, 20 bucks total, got four different logos. The best one out of that, I did like, I think like one revision and that was it. And I got the cover, but it was because, you know, it's kind of a derivative of the, the first work and it was like, you know, good enough. And it actually turned out really good. I think the second cover is actually better overall just because it fit the theme. Yep. So do we want to veer into uh, subcontractors? Sure. I can speak to this a little bit. I've had both good and bad experience with subcontractors. I mean, the the hard thing is, is that you hire them and you can't watch them all the time. And so you go review the code. It looks fine, whatever. So the first subcontractor I ever hired, he worked great for like six months and then he just started phoning it in. And, you know, all of a sudden there were uh, way more bugs than we used to have. And he... You know, he wouldn't deliver on time and I couldn't get a hold of him. And for what I was paying him, it just, he just wasn't doing great work. And I don't know what changed, but I mean, sometimes you just, there's just no way to tell. Yeah. I, I hire developers all the time in different capacities. So over the years, I've hired friends to do sort of really specific projects, sometimes for clients, sometimes just because I wanted to test a new technology without spending the time to learn the new technology so then I could then have a sense of it, kind of educate myself through them so that I could advise clients about whether or not it was good or not good. So it's kind of like having someone else stress test a new framework like Ember or Angular for me. And so that work wasn't actually delivered to any clients, but it was super, super educational and useful. It's kind of like taking a class by paying someone else to use a framework. <laughs> then nice. I've done other stuff. That's a bad idea. Then I've done other stuff where, as like right now, my capacity as CTO for Sticky Albums, I hire dev teams all the time. And we typically use people who I've known and worked with for a long time that are a particular company called Infinum in Croatia. They do an amazing job on web, iOS, and Android. And we've had all sorts of different arrangements with them over the years with this current company and with previous companies where sometimes we just pay them by the hour to work on a specific project. And then other times we've paid them to basically give us 10 use it or lose it hours in a week. So we've got a task list. We give them access to base camp so they can see the to-dos assigned to them. And then we, they fork the whatever, you know, we have probably a dozen code repos on GitHub, give them permission to access the ones that they are working on. And they fork them and do the work and up to the 10 hours and if they are going to go over, they say, hey, we're going to go over. Do you want us to to stop and start again next week? Or do you want to go over and pay us outside of the 10-hour amount? And so we would, you know, make a judgment call. But then they would just send us pull requests. And then, uh, our, you know, our lead internal developer would approve the pull request, et cetera, et cetera. So if we've used a bunch of different models. It really just depends on the volume of work and how fast the project is moving. Is it a bunch of dumb bug cleanup stuff? Or is it, you know, do you have a deadline and you need to get a new product out the door? Is it MVP or whatever? But geez, like in the back of my mind, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking like, you know, we pay them a lot less than we pay a team in the U.S. They're sort of premium for an overseas company, but still it's half of what you'd pay for the same work in the U.S. And it's kind of like, I feel like the subtext of this conversation is kind of like people who are listening. It's like level yourself up a little bit. Uh, if you need to make like U.S. dollars or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, 
I've hired subcontractors in both the U.S. and outside the U.S. Uh, the the one guy that I was talking about was from Brazil. I have another guy from Argentina, like I said, and he's awesome. And then um, I've hired a few from the U.S. And it really depends. I mean, the other issues that I've had basically boil down to um, I had one guy basically call one of my clients stupid, and then he wasn't working on that project anymore. Um, <laughs> Wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> And I've been in the position where I didn't get paid for a while for the contract that I had done the work on and wound up busting my butt to pay my subcontractors and then getting paid six months down the line, which also sucks. Yeah, I've been there. That's the worst. So here's something that I think is a cautionary tale for people. If you are hiring someone by the hour and it's something that's new to you, first of all, I think it's a really good exercise, especially if you bill by the hour, which of course everyone knows I recommend against. But if you do bill by the hour, it's an amazing exercise to hire someone by the hour that charges a non-trivial rate. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is what all my customers feel like. This is what they're talking about when they talk about the meter running. And and this is why they want to hear from me every day because so here's the story. So I was redoing my website and I thought, you know, oh, you know, I just sort of copied apple.com. Basically, I'm like had a a white background with nice thin text or whatever. And I was like, you know, that's, I want something that's more specific. It's more mobile centric and cooler, yada, yada, yada. So it's like, I'm going to actually, uh, I'm going to pay somebody to do this. So I, I got a recommendation to web designer and long story short, you know, like a week goes by at what so we start the project. He's charging. I can't remember. It was three figures though, for sure. It was like maybe $150 an hour. And, uh, you know, we had a good phone call, seemed like we were on the same page and he goes off and to do his work and, you know, a week goes by, no big deal. Figure like, yeah, you know, he's probably doing, I I didn't even think about it actually. Turned out he was like pulling crazy hours on it and I hadn't, I, you know, just my own fault. I hadn't said like, look, this needs to max out at X dollars or X number of hours and, and then stop. I guess I just assumed he maybe at the most do 20 hours in a week. And sure enough, I got a bill for like 2,500 bucks for the first version of it, which I hated. And (laughs) I was like, um, you gotta be kidding. Yeah. I was just so, I was so burned and I partially blame myself and I partially blame the guy because the design was like, I mean, everybody's got an opinion, right? But this particular design, I was not super impressed with. And so I just begrudgingly paid him his money and said, that's it. It, You're done. You know, I'll just go with this design. I I could not agree more in terms of it being a useful exercise. I mean, the the two people that I hired off of uh, Elance, I guess it was probably about a year ago. You know, I hired them by the hour. And it was fantastic to get updates every day. Well, well, first of all, we set a maximum. I expect this should take no more than 20 hours. And so I figured, okay, it'll take 20 hours. But really, I got updates every day. They told me that what they're working on. They uh, uh, apologized that things were taking longer than we might have expected. It, it was it was great, and it really actually taught me a lot about, as Jonathan said, what clients expect and how to talk to them. Yeah, and you know when when I failed to do that, you know it, it's hurt me, and it's the same thing with the subcontractors, right? Um, you have somebody disappear for two weeks, and then they come back and say, "Hey, I finished this feature," and it's okay, but what, what did you do? You know, you send in a pull request and 
you know, we've got to figure out how to integrate what you did with what everybody else did and the worries over that and the worries over whether or not what they got done is reasonable for the amount of time that they're billing out for. And yeah, anyway, it's just really interesting to me, you know, that, yeah, you have those same struggles and then you have to communicate that up the line to your client. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. It's communication and expectation setting. Um, one thing I've been pretty fortunate about is when I hire anyone like, a, you know, as a contractor or do work for me, I set budgets up front. I say, here's your hard limit on hours. You know, if they're hourly or here's your hard limit on budget. And then, you know, give me a checkpoint at like, we'll say 70% of that, just so I know what's going on. I can make sure you're making a good enough progress and, you know, try to have, you know, regular, really frequent communication at first, you know, just like, you know, a lot of people complain about if clients do that. But, you know, I found that when I talk with my clients, you know, every day or a couple of times a day, they feel better, the project goes better. So I'm going to use that exact same strategy with, you know, people I hire when I'm the client. And, you know, it might be a bit more burdensome. It might actually cost me a bit more just in, you know, the talking time or that stuff, but it kind of keeps surprises to a minimum. And at least we, we both know like we're on the same page with stuff. And have you guys ever had situations where you hired a subcontractor or you just encouraged a client to hire someone and it was terrible? Yes. I did. Um, <laughs> I did. And I really ate crow there and had to apologize profusely to the client. And it took a while, I think, to get the trust back. Yeah, I had one where I recommended they hire someone. I didn't give them the actual referral. They hired someone and then midway through the project, I'm like, yeah, this person's not that good. And it ended up, it ended up amounting to me having to do a lot more work. And I was a very, very higher bill rate. So the client was, you know, unhappy about that, you know, but we delivered the project successfully. So they were okay with that. But, um, yeah, I could, I could imagine if you made the referral and, you know, the referral, referral E, referral, yeah, whatever, drop the ball. Like that'd be pretty bad. Yeah, it was, it was a very uncomfortable situation. Also, like, I knew the person I'd referred. I mean, I wouldn't say she was a friend, but, like, I'd worked with her in the past, and I had a really good experience. And she had all sorts of personal stuff going on in her life, which is fine, except that there's a point at which just, it, yeah, it was just bad. Yeah, I keep a list of, like, you know, here's people, like, you want to hire to help me, like, you know, another developer or compliment me. And I vet those people before I put them on the list, and then I'll tell the client, like, look, I've either worked with these people or I've vetted them. I've done a little bit, but do your own due diligence. Make sure they fit for you, you know, because they might be a good fit to work with me, but they might not fit with the client, like just personality conflicts or, you know, schedule conflicts or stuff like that. You know, I try to make it clear to the client, like, if you don't hire this person, I don't care. Like, I'm, this is just me trying to tap my network to kind of help you out. Yeah, that's a good way to go. It's funny that I'm trying to think of an example where I've had a disaster in this situation. And really the, the only one I can think of wasn't the only one I could think of was where I recommended a really premium friend of mine to do some work for somebody and they did it. They were super professional and the client uh, dug it. But in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, they, they, everything was fine. But in the back of my mind, I was like, that wasn't worth the money. It's hard to say that because maybe if we had spent half of what we spent, we would have had an unprofessional experience, but I don't think we would have. So I was, I was a little bit, I guess it wasn't a, bad experience but it was interesting that i was like huh i feel like we could have gotten that for a lot less money or to put it another way i feel like the benefit we got out of that was pretty much identical to the cost so it was kind of like a wash you know what i mean so i, I guess it was just me i was a little bit disappointed yeah so i was gonna say maybe it's because you have the experience and knowledge to rate that whereas the client who didn't you know doesn't have that kind of knowledge might actually see it as a, a net benefit and so that's why it wasn't an issue with them that, yeah that's fair that's fair 
it was kind of like I wouldn't have charged that much for the, I was expecting more for the money. And what ended up happening was something I could have done myself for the same money. And it was kind of like, huh, okay. So yeah, you're right. Yep. So should we dig into employees? No, sure. my wife's in HR. I don't want employees. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to, but I'm going to be very negative about it. Yeah. Uh, the stories I could tell if we weren't recording. Oh boy. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's a D- David Pogue, uh, who used to work for the New York Times, like once had this, gave this talk where he said, you know, how they say when they, uh, you know, the calls may be recorded. He's like, they do record them and they play them back at office parties because the because the calls are so funny and terrible. Um, you have to call them the technical support. So I have a feeling uh, Eric could tell us sorts of things from the, <laughs> the the backwoods of uh, of HR that no one's supposed to know. Well, my thing is, is I, I look at this and I've had people recommend, for example, that I offer Mandy a full-time job. And first of all, I, I don't have her doing enough work for full-time work. And I guess I could hire her to, you know, to work 40 hours a week. But the the real issue is, is that I look at it and I, I immediately get bombarded with, uh, well, you've got to withhold taxes and you've got to provide these benefits legally and you've got to you know, you've got to pay unemployment and you've got to do all these other things and jump through all these hoops. And as a contractor, I just don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You know, I just pay her for the work she does and then it gets done. And that's the extent of what I have to worry about. And I don't have to worry about any, you know, any other legal issues because as a contractor, if she's doing her job, then I'll keep paying her. And if she's not, then I won't. So my dad hired a uh, dental assistant he went through several of them. He, he wound up firing one. One of them stole from him. He couldn't prove it, but he fired her. But this girl, she actually got convicted of fraud by claiming an extra half hour uh, during lunch uh, on her time card. So she she basically would say, "I'm not taking lunch," and then she would put it on the time card. And he told her over and over and over again, "You have to take lunch. You have to clock out. You can go do whatever you want. You can hang out here, whatever." But I'm taking lunch, so you're taking lunch because I mean he's the dentist, right? There, so they're you know if he's not working, <laughs> she's not working, right? So since that was basically you know within the definition of what her job was, she couldn't claim that time on her time card. And so when my dad finally fired her. You know, he took all those time cards and he, you know, he pressed the issue. He's like, he's like, look, you know, you can't do this. And, you know, and he had documented that he had warned her and, you know, on and on and on. So finally he had to press charges against her. And so he got her for like 27 counts of fraud on her time card. Can you imagine the emotional strain of just thinking about this on a daily basis and working in a small office with this person? So, so here's the kicker. She went and claimed unemployment and got it <laughs> after she had been convicted of fraud. Yeah. Time so card think, fraud. Yep. It, yeah, is, unemployment's Israel, pain. Is, Israel has a law that says that um, if you are fired from a job after you've been working there for a year, then you get severance. And the severance is one month of salary for every year you work there. Oh, wow. So if someone works for me for like five years and then I fire them, I have to pay them five months' salary. Now, the way that all companies deal with it is then just every month they put some money aside uh, so into a, a fund, and that's used. And most places, if you quit, we'll also give it to you, like most decent places. Mm-hmm. But I knew someone who had someone who was stealing from the company, and they fired him. And he went and went to the labor court and said, oh, yeah, I want my severance. And they had to give it to him. Yeah, see, that's ridiculous. Uh, 
But right, and it might be really, but like you know, the labor laws in in most countries outside the U.S. are much, much, much stronger. I actually had a guy. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. I, so when I first went to Chicago, I thought I don't know why I thought this. I thought I could still somehow like run my consulting company remotely from Chicago, and like have people in Israel work on things, and I could do the PhD. And okay, anyway, so that was laughable. But he was doing a project for a big company. He was just going there every year. He was like, you know, doing development every day, just outsourced as a contractor. And um, he, so I get email from the company saying, so we're very sorry to hear that Richard's not going to be working for us anymore. I said, what? <laughs> and they said, oh, he didn't tell you? He's, he's done. Uh, you know, he, he told us that he found another job. So basically, like, he didn't tell me, he screwed me over, he went, you know, screwed the, 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 the uh, you know, the client over. And when I confronted him, he said, oh, yeah, well, I, I was told by this new job, I really, really, really had to go for it. Um, and oh, and by the way, you owe me severance. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no way, no how, that's just not happening. You've quit, I have not fired you, and I don't owe you to you. And we went, like, we went back and forth. And I found out that he had been doing work for other, oh, that's right, that's, that's right. I had sold my client list when I went to Chicago, except for that one to someone else. So like legally I wasn't supposed to be working on any of their projects, but they turned to him privately. And so he was working on stuff for them privately from that client's office where he was supposed to be billing for me. Oh, so my. Like, <laughs> I forgot about that. Wow, wow. Wow. This brings back good memories. Uh, okay. They weren't so good, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, but you when as the employer get screwed because you can't yeah. do anything about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, this sort of gets into the history of work and employment a little bit, but, just to keep it focused on the topic at hand, which is when to know if you should hire a full-time employee. I can't envision any time in my future being in a place where I need to hire a full-time employee because of, and like a lot of that paperwork stuff is just, you know, you can kind of outsource it to a payroll company and to your lawyer and to, you know, all these professionals that we probably already employ. So yeah, it's definitely annoying and you have to deal with it at least to hand it off to somebody to, you know, make sure their benefits are set up. And, but the thing that starts to happen or at least has happened in my experience is that when you are a practitioner, which I am sure pretty much everybody listening is a practitioner of some kind, they're either a designer or developer or whatever, and they do their craft. As soon as you start hiring employees, your job turns into or, you know, you're doing less of what you love and you're doing more of things like one-on-ones and breaking up employee scuffles, like employees who are not getting along and you have to deal with that. You have to start dealing with morale. You have to deal with professional development in addition to all of the, you know, the legal stuff and the tax stuff and the health insurance stuff and all of that. Never mind the pressure of now worrying about two people's mortgage, not just yours. So all of a sudden you get extremely cash flow focused, which is a really bad thing because it's, if you have a dip, if your income is seasonal and you have a dip, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I need to take the next client who comes through the door and is willing to give me a deposit check because I got to pay Joe's payroll in two days and I haven't got the money. So you start taking on bad clients and then that's just the beginning of a potential death spiral where bad client sticks around for a long time and causes more trouble than they're worth, blah, 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 blah. I guess if I was going to say, I mean, for me, hiring a full-time employee is just not part of my the way I set up my business. But I hasten to add that a lot of people who bill by the hour see hiring full-time employees as the only way to, air quotes, scale their business. 
because they know they can't just double their hourly rate or all their clients will run screaming and laughing at them. Uh, and, you know, so if you're going to slowly increase your rate, maybe 10%, your hourly rate, maybe 10% every couple of years, even every year, you're never really going to break through. You're not even going to keep up with inflation. You're not going to break through this sort of artificially imposed income limit that stems from the fact that there are only so many hours in a year. So you can never go above the number of hours in the year times your rate. So to increase your income, you have no choice but to hire junior employees who you can hopefully pay less than you're billing them out for, which creates, in my opinion, a little bit of a, you know, I don't want to sound like Karl Marx here, but it's a little bit exploitative. And, you know, because he's like younger, you get a younger developer, doesn't know how much they're worth. You can pay him 65 bucks an hour, bill them out at 165 and you keep the hundred, which you also have to pay to, you know, deal with project management and all of the other administrative stuff. But if you imagine for a second that there's another way to scale your business, which is to not bill by the hour and bill by the project with fixed bids based on value, you disguise your limit. For your income because the way you scale your business is to get bigger and bigger customers. And once you have that revelation and you realize that there's a way to drastically increase your income without adding headcount, all of a sudden the notion, at least for me, of hiring full-time employees becomes absurd. I mean, there's just no benefit to it. And soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's why I say like, I don't want to hire, you know, employees for client work. Like I might hire employees for products or I mean, maybe practice consulting if it's the deliverables were fine, but I don't want to be hiring people and then putting them on, you know, building on a client. Like I've, I've seen, you know, the insights of companies that do that. And I just, that's not for me. You know, some of the reasons Jonathan said, and some of just my own, you know, but I could see hiring like a full-time, you know, administrative assistant or full-time um, writer or stuff like that. If it's going to help me, you know, on the product side, or maybe even on kind of like the, you know, generating leads, generating sales, that stuff. I could see that there's a, a huge hurdle to get over, but you know, that's a possibility for me. But as far as like hiring, you know, a, a technician to work on client projects, like that's a no-go for me. You just triggered something in my mind. If I ever released a SaaS product, I would hire someone full-time to do customer service. That's the one thing that I can think of that I would do. Because the if it was popular enough to be, have enough customers that there were regular requests from customers about, no, there's this bug or could you have this feature or whatever. I would definitely hire someone to just handle that and be committed to it so that, you know, and I'd probably go with a full-time employee if assuming that SaaS was generating some a reasonable income flow so that I wouldn't, I mean, maybe a Mandy type of person would work in this situation too, but I've had so many VAs flake on me that I wouldn't want to keep retraining them. I'd want someone who was really invested in the product and understood the feature set as well as I did so that when questions came in, they could just handle them. So I guess that's that's one exception that I can think of. Yeah, and the other side is if you're doing SaaS or most product businesses, they have maybe not consistent income, but pretty predictable income versus client work, which your client can call you up and say, we're done. You know, especially mm -hmm. if you're billing in, was it, in errors and hourly or weekly or whatever. Like you could just Your income could dry up right away. Versus a SaaS or a product where you have, you know, dozens, hundreds, to thousands of customers paying you smaller amounts. It's one customer leave that's not as big of an impact. Right. It's much more predictable. Yeah. I mean, the other thing to think about is, I can't remember the, the, what it's called, but the idea of, you know, if you're working by yourself, you don't need to tell yourself to do things like, you know, or you do, but it's not like a, there's not a huge cost. But if you hire someone else, you know, there's now a communication line that has to be there. And so if, if 
you know, both of you guys are on the call of a client, you know, you both heard the client, you might not have gotten the exact same understanding, but it's pretty close. But if only one of you are on it, now you've got to spend additional time to kind of summarize or document or write it down. And so there's, a, you know, a time cost, there's probably some expense cost in that too. You know, but then if you hire a second person, there's now, what is it, three lines of communication to go through everyone. And so kind of as you hire people or as you bring more people on, I don't know if it's exponential, but like the communication lines just start blowing up. And that's something to kind of keep in mind too. If you're trying to hire someone, like, especially if you're trying to scale and outsource stuff, like that can be a problem, that can be a cost, and that can actually make it so like, you know, the projected return you're going to get is a lot lower than what you actually get. Yeah, communication latency is is unbelievable. It really gets, uh, it's parabolic. So, you know, like what's the, what's the joke? You can't hire nine women to have a baby in one month. Mm -hmm. It's like, it just, it gets so crazy so fast that the returns are diminishing like immediately. I mean, that's, that's not just employees. That's also contractors. That's anything, any kind of hiring. I think one big thing I put in chat, but one thing that I see or I hear about a lot with employees more as you get larger and you get some people that have been there a while and some people that are new is you can, it's easy to kind of get the, some people into like an entitlement attitude. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I've been here five years. I, I can say something. I can do whatever I want. I should get better benefits. I should get this. And it's something that once it happens, it's really hard to reverse without letting that person go. The problem is it's, it's usually your best, most senior people that have it. And so that's something you have to really be careful with employees. Contractors, they can get that, especially if they're longer term, but it's, it's less likely because there's, it's more of a, more of a loose ties relationship there. And I think kind of, you know, underneath it all, they understand that. Whereas, I mean, really in the U S you can fire an employee for pretty much any reason at any time. Most people kind of give you like three strikes and then they give you warnings and, you know, let you go and pay your unemployment. But like really like almost anyone can get fired and it's actually a very loose tie relationship, but there's cultural aspects around it. And I know other countries have similar or even more extreme versions of that too. Yeah, we definitely saw that when I was running a, the dev shop. We had, depending on the, you know, the time of year, we have 10 or 15 full-time employees and, you know, we build up by the hour. We build them all out by the hour. I think, I don't know, the rate was like 150 at the time. And they would, you know, and I do one-on-ones with them and they would, some of them would be like, well, you're billing me out at $150 an hour and you're only paying me X. So I'm only making like $50 an hour because of my salary or whatever. I'm just making up numbers. But, and they start to get their nose all out of joint as if they could just go solo and be making the same money that we were billing them out. You know, like no concept of the overhead of multiple offices, multiple server rooms, flying people to conferences, flying people to customer sites, just absolutely no consideration for any of that and just be like, oh, I work this many hours a year. Just no concept of overhead or marketing or uh, travel expenses or the health insurance costs that we were eating. And it's just, it's just so, and maybe this is a, a personality flaw of mine, but it was really annoying and it kind of soured me on the experience, but entitlement is the perfect summary of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, people, a lot of employees don't understand that, you know, their gross salary, you know, easily 50%, sometimes two, sometimes even three times that is what the cost to the business, the employee is. And, you know, when the employee is asking for say a $5,000 raise, 
that actually might end up being a 15, 20, 30, maybe even a 50,000 extra costs just due to all of, all of the stuff the employee is using and consuming. And so like, you know, as business people, we can look at that and be like, objectively, like, no, you're not worth that. But the employee says, well, it's only five grand. Yeah. I'm not worth five grand to you. Fine. I'm leaving. And it's, it's, it's a hard attitude because it's, you know, your people equate their, their job and their salary and all that with the value of themselves. It's not separated from, you know, their self. Uh, as like the concept. And so it gets really, really hard to do. No, I, I, yeah. de- I definitely had employees come to me and say exactly what you were saying, uh, Jonathan. You're billing me out at three times my billing rate, twice my billing rate. That's not fair. And truth be told, it didn't annoy me. It made me feel terrible. I, I was like, wow. And I, maybe I'm just like quite a pushover. I was like, wow, that's terrible. And then I actually looked into it and I found out, actually, that's the way consulting companies work, accounting company works, law firms work. And so I was able to go back and say, you might not like it, but exact, I mean, it took me a while to sort of come to the conclusion that you mentioned, Jonathan, but like, these are business expenses and someone's got to be footing the bill. And if you go out on your own and you do it, you're going to be paying them basically for yourself. And that's just sort of the way it works, not because I'm being piggish, but because that's the way the business has to work. And, And there's another thing that's related to that, which is a lot of people think, oh, if I have you know, so if, if, if I'm just billing out for myself, then I get X. And if I bill out for me plus someone else, then I'll get 2X. But it's not at all the case because, first of all, you're not going to be billing them out at the same rate as you are, almost certainly. Um, and second of all, your time will now contract. You will have less time to work on the actual thing you want to do because you are managing them, and managing takes time. So it's not... I mean, yes, it allows you to scale up, and that's why I hired my first employees years and years ago. I had more work than I could handle, and I said, oh, well, if I want to scale up, scale out, I better hire some people. And so I started off very small, like I hired someone on a part-time basis, and as I mentioned before, I got up to the point where I had five, six people working for me in the year 2000, and exactly what Jonathan was saying happened to me. I was responsible for these people's mortgages and salaries and on, on, and on, and then the bottom dropped out of the market. And I was totally stuck mm. because I, and I felt terrible. And basically over the course of six months, I had to lay them all off and I incurred some debt so that I could pay their salaries, which of course is never supposed to happen in a consulting company. But I, I didn't want to just, I mean, I felt responsible for these people and I said, well, maybe we'll find something. And you know, the month during which we're looking for work, I still have to pay their salary. And so after that whole ordeal, I swore I would never hire an employee on a salary basis again. And that's, that's what I've done since then. So since then, everyone I've hired has been on an hourly basis where basically if I'm billing by the hour for project, which, which I do, I, I still do certainly, um, the development projects that my people work on or my guy works on now bill by the hour and, um, my people get a very large percentage of that. And I do that whether they're subcontractors or employees. And the idea of having an employee is, uh, I get more loyalty and I sort of get first dibs on what they're on, on their time. Even though I know they're working on other things, that's totally fine with me. So it's sort of like a, a glorified with benefits subcontractor relationship. There's two and that's things. very well, but with certain people who are very independent, who are looking for work and are like, you know, don't need my day to day management and can talk to clients also. Yeah, those people are worth their weight in gold. So I, I guess I would say, like thinking back on it for me, if I was going to get back into the business of hiring full time employees, it's like you have to ask yourself, you think, like, first you think, oh, I, I'm ready to hire a full-time employee. But the corollary to that is that you also have to say to yourself, 
And if need be, I'm ready to say the words, I don't have your salary this month or you're fired. So if you're not ready to say either one of those two second things, you're not ready to hire a full-time employee. Definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Because you will have to say one or both of those at some point. Eventually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I... I mean, as everyone who listens to the podcast knows, I've been moving more and more into doing training. And I would say now a good 80 to 90% of my work is doing training. And so having an employee who's doing day-to-day development lets me, I mean, granted, I'm still making something off of him, although it's not that much, but it allows me to then be involved in a project as a CTO of the company when and have more sort of day-to-day control over how the development goes. And I've been very happy with that, you know, as it happens. If, for whatever reason, I hope this doesn't happen, if we were to not have that project, that does raise the question of whether I would need my employee anymore and whether he and I would still sort of need each other. Um, For now, I expect the project's going to continue for quite some time. We're all happy with each other. But I think it's definitely this sort of special combination of he's an amazing guy. I have a very hands-off management style, which is great for his personality. He knows how to talk to the client directly, and they love his work. So I sort of get the benefit of I get to be more involved with the project, and I make some money, you know, off of his work as well. By the way, my accountant thinks that I'm totally nuts. My, <laughs> my, my accountant says, like, you need to pay your people way, way, way less. And I mean, benefits in Israel, I mean, Chuck, you were mentioning benefits in the U.S. Benefits in Israel are like way, 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 way higher than they are in the U.S. So my accountant thinks I'm like crazy for having this sort of agreement with someone. Of course, he also complained to me that all of his staff leaves because they are not paid enough. So <laughs> I don't know if he's the right guy to be giving me business advice on such things. <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah. like, where do you want your work in employee churn or, you know, just making less of a profit off of them? Yep. All right. Any other aspects of this we should dig into before we go to picks? I, I think just one thing, which is just as I mean, Jonathan, you said, you're going to eventually have to say to someone you can't pay your salary or they're fired. The other thing you should be ready for is at some point they will come to you and say, I'm out of here. Or it's I want to raise. Or, or I want to raise. Or, right, 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 right. I mean, the way, the way I've done it with my employees for years now is I just give them a, a large proportion of whatever we're billing. So we sort of have a mutual interest in raising their billing, uh, billing rates. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a number of people over the years say this has been great. Some of them said it was terrible, but most of them said it was great. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to move on. In some ways, I've thought of it sort of like graduate school where you've got the person at the top who is sort of the name brand you know, like the professor, the advisor, the consultant. Um, and you've got people under them sort of learning the trade. And after a few years, they say, oh, you know, I, I could do this too. And I could be making that sort of money. Not everyone is cut out for that. Not everyone wants to do that, but they do. And so they leave. And that means if you've had someone working on client work and they leave, you are responsible, right? And it is your name. And you'd better then be able to step in and work on it or find someone else who can because you won't have the client for much longer if you leave them high and dry. All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and get to the picks. Ruben, do you want to start us off with picks? Uh, sure. So let's see. So I've got two picks, I guess, for this week. One is I, I'm probably like the last person uh, listening to this podcast who's done this, but I tried Uber for the first time mm-hmm. in you know, everyone's favorite Uber city, which is Shanghai. <laughs> Basically, I discovered I, I found it very hard to get a cab on the street, and someone said... Oh, you mean you're not using an app to call a taxi? No wonder you won't find any. <laughs> and that explains the gesture that the guy made as he drove by me, which I guess was not, um, you know, telling me to do something unpleasant, but rather telling me to call for, for a taxi. So anyway, in Shanghai, I used Uber and it was fantastic. 
I was really quite impressed by the, the, the app, by the interface, by the availability. Um, everything was terrific. Um, so that's, that's pick number one to try them out, even though I think they're a terrible company and treat people terribly. And I had a, a, a great experience with the, uh, with the uh, driver. I asked him, you know, what he thinks of it. And he was like, oh, oh, it's terrible. So, the, and the second thing is, uh, <laughs> but, but he's still doing it, I guess. And the second thing is a uh, book that I got that I read while I was in China called Consider the Fork. And it's all about sort of the history of kitchen technologies, many of which we take for granted. So like egg beaters and forks and spoons and different types and on and on and on. So if you're into cooking and you're into technology and you're into the sort of evolution of these things, I find it kind of fascinating. I think the, the book is definitely amusing and interesting and also shows you, I mean, for instance, like egg beaters, we think of it as like a very standard thing, but about a hundred years ago, there's tremendous, tremendous competition. Who could come up with a commercially viable egg beater? And there were all these crazy ideas thrown around until someone probably uh, fi- finally managed to do it. Anyway, those are my picks for this week. All right. Eric, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. As soon as I get the song beat it out of my head. <laughs> Okay, this pick is from uh, the creative class. It's called Morgan's Paradox. Uh, It's by Philip Morgan, who was on the show a while ago. Uh, It's an interesting take on positioning. I'm not going to spoil it for you. It's really good to read. But uh, basically, it comes along with what I've been saying for a while is you really don't need that many clients. Uh, It's probably not as many as you actually think. Um, So if you're thinking about positioning or you're scared about getting into too small of a, a positioning niche, Read this, do a little bit of the research Philip suggests, and uh, see if your fear is unfounded or if it's actually legit. All right. Jonathan, what are your picks? I've got two this week. Uh, the first is just a fun one. It is called The Mortified Podcast, which is at getmortified.com. And it is, I've only listened to one episode so far, but uh, my wife recommended it to me. And I am telling you, this is the most laugh out loud funny podcast I've ever heard. It's basically people going on stage in front of an audience reading their diaries from when they were little kids. (laughs) It is a scream. So I won't even spoil it. There's just a million. I mean, I've, I've read, I've listened to one. It was completely hilarious. I was, I was sore from laughing and the other titles of the different episodes just sound equally hilarious. So you're obviously a podcast listener, so check it out. Uh, the other one is a service available from uh, Marcus Blankenship, who's going to be a guest on the show, I think, in October. And uh, if you are planning to hire people, he helps technical teams uh, improve their people management skills. So if you're a, a developer and you're thinking about uh, hiring someone for whatever reason, uh, he can kind of walk you through that transition from going to be, you know, from going from a person who does the work to someone who manages people who do the work. And it, like I said, it's specifically oriented to technical firm type of people. So I'm sure it would be of interest to the folks that listen to the show. And that's it. All right. I've got a couple of picks. The first one is I was interviewed on a podcast called Developer on Fire. And I talk a lot about the podcasts and uh, my experience as a developer and offer some advice. I talked about getting jobs and a bunch of other things, freelancing. So um, if you're interested in that, uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. And then the other one is a programming exercise that I've been playing with for the last little while called Elevator Saga. And uh, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But it's just a, you basically start out with one elevator 
And so you have to come up with an algorithm that will get, it'll serve, I think it's 20 people in 60 seconds or less. And then, you know, they get progressively harder. I'm on challenge number four right now, and that's transport 28 people in 60 seconds. And you have two elevator cars. So um, you kind of have to then start figuring out, okay, when do I call in the second car or what algorithm will get it through the fastest and all that stuff. So anyway, it's a lot of fun and it's kind of a progressive build on what you did last time. So those are my picks. Well, that was a fun discussion. Hopefully uh, some people who are considering hiring and how and when and who that'll help them out. All right. Well, we'll wrap up the show. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. 